0: and welcome to our show, Let's Finish Cancer, where we bring you the brightest cancer experts and compassionate cancer navigators. Our goal is to make you stronger at a time you might feel at your weakest and to empower you to make the best decisions for you and your family. You'll hear about the latest in technology and treatment options, stories from patients and survivors, doctors that see you as more than a cancer diagnosis, and a whole person approach to cancer care. We want to be on your journey with you and we want you to know that at times it can be bumpy, but we're here for you and we want to help you forward. I'm your host, Mary Arnoff, and here with me today is Colleen Fox, Chief Philanthropy Officer for Providence Healthcare in Eastern Washington. And today we're talking about childhood cancer and the role Hospital Foundations play when it comes to patient care. Remember everyone, most of our questions will come from you, our listeners, on social media. We can be found on Twitter and Facebook at Providence and on Instagram under Providence Health Systems. Before we start, I want our listeners to know that the information provided during this program is for educational purposes only. You should always consult a healthcare provider if you have any questions regarding a medical condition or treatment. So let's get started by welcoming our guest today. Hello, Colleen. Hi, Mary. It's great to be with you this morning. Oh, thanks for joining us. So I'm going to start you with
1: a super simple one. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your role here? Absolutely. Well, I serve as the Chief Philanthropy Officer for Providence in Eastern Washington, and our foundation raises funds for the Providence Ministries here, so our hospitals and our clinics, including Sacred Heart Children's Hospital, which I know we're talking about today. And I have a deep connection to Sacred Heart Children's Hospital. I have five-year-old twins who were born here and spent the first uh, three weeks of their life up in our neonatal intensive care unit. And thankfully they're healthy, but they've had some respiratory issues and have been frequent flyers in the pediatric emergency department these first few years. So I know both as a professional and as a mom how fortunate we are to have Sacred Heart here in our community.
0: And it's so, it's so important to you, not just for the community here, but the community at large. I think you guys get patients from other states, right?
1: Absolutely, we are a regional uh, medical center, So we have kids who come from all over Montana, Northern Idaho, Northeastern Oregon, um, and then all across Eastern Washington.
0: I think it's great when you have a personal touch point. I mean, your, your children were born here and have mm-hmm. come here. And so you do know, you do know what kind of an experience families get here. And I think it's so important that people understand that the the care provided at Sacred Heart, and we're here on, on site today, so I actually get to see it sometimes, I love it, is really about the whole family. It's not just about the patient, right?
1: Absolutely. I think two of the real core principles of the Children's Hospital are, number one, we realize that kids are not just small adults. And so everything that we do in the way that we deliver care from the technology to the supportive programs that we offer are really designed to meet kids where they are and to cater to their unique physical, emotional, spiritual needs. And then I think the second component that you touched on is family-centered care is important regardless of the patient's age, but especially in kids, they really need a strong supportive family and a strong healthy family to have the best chance of getting well.
0: I've been in healthcare um, in prior lives of mine mm-hmm. and I remember as a young person first working in a hospital, I worked at Dornbecker in yeah. Oregon, and we were just implementing family-centered care. And I remember that it was so hard at a teaching hospital to get physicians to understand that, yeah, maybe the kid wants to sit on their parents' lap while they're mm-hmm. getting their flu shot or whatever, mm-hmm. or that, yeah, mom and dad need to be in the room for you know, an x-ray. But now it's so commonplace. I think right. parents expect it, but I think the, the
1: clinicians expect it as well. Right, I think it's become normalized, and I think, You know, it really started with kids, and yet we're also seeing how important it is, even for adults, that they are supported and that their loved ones are involved in the decision-making and that really that's in the best interest of the patient.
0: Well, I was thinking about it earlier. I'm I'm a cancer survivor two times, and I was in my... thirties the first Mm -hmm. time. And I wanted my mom. I wanted her to go to every appointment. I wanted everything. And so I think if I were five,
1: six, seven, 18, I would still want the same thing. Absolutely. Well, and we all know that kids kind of model after their parents. And so um, they look to their parents and and if their parents are okay, then they think, okay, then this is okay. And I'm safe and I can get through this. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know,
0: this series that we're talking about, let's finish cancer is, is really important, but I think the childhood cancer side is very different. I think people Mm -hmm. don't often think about kids when they think about cancer. It's like, Hospice. You don't generally think about pediatric hospice, right? So, talk to me a little bit about the foundation's role in how we provide cancer care for young people.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, to put it really simply, I see the foundation's role is just making sure that our patients and their families and our caregivers, our physicians and nurses and social workers who are on the front lines, have all the resources that they need to give a child every chance at beating cancer. So whether that is specialized equipment or research trials or um, support for the patient through a patient assistant so that they can get to and from their appointments and have a safe place to stay at night. Uh, We just wanna make sure that they have every resource possible um, as they're going through this journey.
0: And I think some of that, too, I've heard is even in in billing or funding, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's it's an expensive endeavor for families, and not everybody is prepared for that.
1: Yeah, I don't think there's a single family, no matter how many resources you have, who is ready for the financial reality of having a child who has cancer. When you look at not only the cost of treatment, but uh, parents who have to take time off work to be with that child, increased uh, costs for other kids who are at home with childcare. Right, care. Right. I mean, there are just so many factors that contribute. And we don't want that to be a huge worry and a huge burden for families. We really want them to be able to focus on the child. And so um, just simple things like being able to provide a gas card and grocery cards, um, paying for utility bills so that when kids go home, they have a safe, warm house to go home to. Um, oh,
0: wow. I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah,
1: just some of those, those really basic needs that most of us take for granted. Um, the foundation's here to make sure that, that our kids and our families who are fighting cancer have those resources as well.
0: Well, and and especially for traveling patients, right? Mm -hmm. To have a place to stay for their family as well.
1: Yep, absolutely. And we, we know that kids do better when their parents are close, when their siblings are close, when they have that support network here with them. So...
0: And we did have a conversation um, with a couple of other people on staff here. And one of the things I did not know that I learned was that the foundation raises money for some of the staff positions like child life. We Talk do. to me a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, you know, um, there are a lot of positions within the healthcare system that are non revenue generating. Right. Uh, you can't bill for child right. life, you can't bill for those pieces, and yet they are so, so critical to the patient's healthcare journey. Uh, So the foundation has helped support um, social work positions. Um, That's a really important part of the care team, especially for oncology families. Um, And then child life, which is something I really didn't know about until my kids were patients here. Um, But they are just an amazing group of professionals who really act as the liaison between the kid and the care team and try to do everything that they can to educate the patient and to normalize the care experience. And um and so we are really proud to be able to support some of those positions because we know what of added value it is to the kids who are receiving care.
0: Well you mentioned kind of non revenue generating, but mm-hmm. but some of it too is even that you can't bill for it, right? right. Like you can't and I know that, like there's some art and music programs yeah. and all of those things are really important for kids. What what, what are kind of some of the most unique things you think that people maybe wouldn't know of or could say, that's what I want my money to go to?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, one of the programs that we're really proud of um, that's relatively new is our hospital-based school program. Oh, okay. And this was a passion project of one of our pediatric social workers who would work with kids and their families for extended periods of time while they were here fighting cancer. And she would check in with them when they were back home and the kids would say, well, I beat cancer, but I'm failing at life because oh. they were so far behind in school. Uh, they were so disconnected from their education that they felt this just insurmountable challenge it's of trying to get my heart. caught back up. And I mean, what a horrible, what a horrible yeah. situation to be in. And so when you look at kind of the compound effects of the time they were outside of school, um, and then a lot of kids have what we call cancer brain. You know, mm-hmm. Their brains are impacted by chemo and sure. by the treatment they've received. Um, we just weren't setting them up for success. And so the hospital-based school program um, is a a group of teachers and volunteers. A lot of them are former teachers who really work with kids where they're at. They work with the home school of the patient to get the actual academic work from the school. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they work with each kid individually. Sometimes it's in our classroom. Sometimes they're at the bedside. uh, But to do whatever they can to keep kids engaged academically while they're receiving treatment. And then i think equally important when the kid gets ready to transition home they meet with the teachers at the school they meet with the counselors and come up with an individual individualized education plan to set that student up for success and make sure that they have the resources the tutoring whatever they need to successfully integrate back into school and sometimes it's academic and sometimes it's social i will never forget the social work talking about um, a little girl who was six years old, and she was really afraid to go back to school because she looked different, she you know, oh, had lost her yeah. hair, she needed to wear a mask, and um, she was afraid of what her peers were going to think of her. And so our social worker actually went with her to school on the first day oh. and kind of explained what she had been through and how heroic she was, and was just there to socially support that student during a really vulnerable time. So. That's a program that is 100% funded through philanthropy, and it's one that we're really proud of because we know it makes such a difference in these kids' life. And then another one I'll just highlight really quickly is our arts and healing program. And there is all kinds of clinical research to show that um, kids who have access to creative expression while they're in treatment um, suffer less trauma, they need less pain medication, um, they have increased resilience, and so... Our arts and healing program um, allows artists and residents to come to students' uh, bedside, and they do um, they do drawing, they do um, photography, they write poetry, they do songwriting, anything to help kids kind of process the emotions that they're going through.
0: So you can just go ahead and take my money right now. <laughs> like that's beautiful. It
1: really, it really is, and. I'll never forget one of our patients um, wrote a letter to one of our artists in residence, instead of everyone I've met in the hospital, you were the person who helped me the most because you helped me express things that I didn't even know I was feeling. And so it really is incredibly important to that holistic care that we're not just here to treat patients, you know, physically, but really tend to their emotional and their spiritual needs as well.
0: I don't know if I haven't had a chance to to wander around today. I don't know if you guys still do it. But the last time I was here, there were like ceiling tiles that the kids had painted or Mm -hmm. drawn on. And I remember I saw one that said, I am more than my cancer. And I just Mm -hmm. thought, what a powerful thing for a kid to have processed and come up with and drawn and see every day above their bed.
1: Absolutely. You're not defined by your disease. It's a part of you, but it's not what defines you.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, Providence is really focused on this kind of, we see the life in you, which mm-hmm. is really about you are more than your diagnosis. You are more than your heart disease. You are more than your cancer. And I love this kind of whole person care, this family centered care. I love the impact of it. How do you feel the foundation can help support that? Obviously there's kind of some mm-hmm. of the work and the programs that you're doing. Is it really in finding the dollars for it or is it just in supporting the staff and making sure that they feel supported and the families as well?
1: Yeah, I think it's I think our role we really are sort of the bridge between what happens in the hospital and then what's happening in our community. And so a lot of what we do is and a lot of the donors we work with have some sort of personal connection. And Mm so for a lot of our donors, this is part of their healing process. They have been through a cancer experience or had a sick child and they want to do something with that suffering. They want to be a part of something larger. And so we provide those opportunities for them and we kind of work with them and understand their passion and then we align those with the needs at the hospital. And, and so we, we're there for the donors and then for the caregivers, we're there to provide the resources so that they know that they have everything they need to do their jobs and then, of course, for the patients as well.
0: Yeah, amazing. Well, we're going to take a quick break and when we do, we're going to come back and continue the conversation about childhood cancer.
2: Been waiting for the tides to change, for the waves to send you my way. I see you darling, but you pixelate. It gets hard to take these days.
0: We are back with our guest, Chief Philanthropy Officer Colleen Fox, who's going to take my money and everybody else's money because (laughs) the the work being done here is absolutely amazing. Um, And we are discussing the hospital foundation's role in fighting childhood cancer. When when a kid is diagnosed with cancer, and it's it's so impactful for them, but also their families, it's it's life changing, right, for everyone in the family. Um, Talk to me about what what you guys provide for the families when they find, and and I think part of it too is like the resources, the other partnerships you have in the Mm -hmm. community. How are you guys helping to support that kind of moment in time?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think it takes a village to raise a child. It takes a very strong village to get a child through a cancer diagnosis. Right. And so the hospital is kind of the first stop. I mean, this is generally a kid gets a diagnosis and if they're you know local, they come in. If they're from an outlying area, they are oftentimes are taken by ambulance or life flighted here. Um, it's usually a pretty traumatic diagnosis and it's pretty quick that they need to get to the children's hospital. So we are kind of the first stop. And um, we have an amazing team of social workers who, you know, after the child gets through kind of the first medical steps, come around and surround that family and, and make sure that they have the resources. So. Um, you know, they talk about our foundation, but also our partners. We've got great partners like the Ronald McDonald House and Mm -hmm. the Anna Schindler Foundation who both help support from with lodging. Um, ACoin, which does emotional support groups and provides some of those basic necessities for our patients. Um, We partner with the Community Cancer Fund. So uh, really making sure that that families and patients know that there is a whole community of organizations who's here to support them through this.
0: Well, I know we talked uh, kind of the business side of it earlier, and we talked about, you know, Yes, most most things that we provide are not going to be revenue generators, right? Mm-hmm. We're lucky if we break even. Yep. So fundraising is so vital to the work being done here. Talk to me a little bit about the impact of COVID, though, because you weren't able to do live events and charity yeah. events and that sort of thing, and people lost their income. How has that impacted your ability to continue to raise funds?
1: Yeah, it definitely has had an impact. In 2020, um, our revenue was down about 30% mm. overall, so it was definitely a hit for us. Uh, we have three major fundraising events, and we had to cancel two out of three. We had one in February, um, which looking back, it's kind of amazing we were able to have that, but we didn't know what we didn't know. Um, and then we did have people who lost their income mm-hmm. and who had been strong supporters who needed to take a step back. The good news is that we also had people who really stepped forward and said, you know what, I haven't been as impacted by this, and I have a job where I can work at home. And, mm-hmm. um, and so we also had a lot of people who stepped forward and said, we know that these programs are vital. We had some great donations to our hospital-based school program, um, to arts and healing from people who said, I know that these programs are vital, and I can I can do my part to keep them going.
0: Well, it's interesting because we had a couple of people uh, send us questions, and one of them was, kids aren't getting COVID, so are you raising funds for the children's hospital still? Well, they're still getting everything else, right? And they are Absolutely. getting COVID, <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, we, um, we really didn't raise, um, we didn't have COVID as a specific fundraising priority for us. Um, because the reality is, is that that's a huge part of our life right now. And yet kids are still getting cancer. Right. Babies are still being born early. Right. Um, kids still have respiratory issues and end up in our, you know, pediatric intensive care unit. They still break unit. a leg. They still fall they off still a bike. They still break a leg. They still do all the things <laughs> kids do. And we cannot let, um, we can't let our attention lapse from right. making sure that those kids have everything they need as right. well. So. Yep.
0: Well, we did get another question um, from James on Facebook, and he said, of the money that the foundation raises, how much is spent on salaries and overhead?
1: Yeah, this is a question that I'm always really proud to answer. So I can say that 0% goes to salaries and overhead. Um, Providence Health Care uh, subsidizes all um, all of our salaries and our overhead costs so that every single dollar that's contributed through philanthropy goes directly to programs and services. So it's a good investment for our community.
2: Nice.
0: Well, people have also asked us, can they choose how their money gets spent, right? Can I say I want to be part of this childhood program or I want to do one of the red wagons or can they help kind of decide where that money goes?
1: Yeah, one of the things that we really uh, pride ourselves on as a foundation is working with each donor individually to make sure that their donation has the impact that they intend. So we have numerous different programs that they can support um, different specific initiatives like arts and healing or the hospital-based school program. Um, A lot of donors want to give to our patient assistance fund because they realize how fortunate some of us are to be able to afford gas and utilities and those sorts of things and and want to really tangibly support families who are experiencing financial hardship. Um, But that's an individual conversation that we have with each donor.
0: Are you seeing more people interested in donating to behavioral health, mental health for for youth?
1: It's been a huge increase, yes, in the last um, 18 months. I think that is one of the really unfortunate side effects of covid that even if we're not seeing kids experience covid as frequently um, what we are seeing is a huge increase in behavioral health crisis among youth and so there's a lot of concern in our community and a lot of interest Um, we've got some great programs we do have an inpatient um, psychiatric unit here at the children's hospital and again that's all tailored to meeting the individual psychiatric needs of teens who are going through that um, we have our Behavioral Education and Skills Training Program, which is an early intervention program for kids in kindergarten through sixth grade um, who are experiencing challenges at school. And so we bring them in and we work on group therapy, uh, medication management to really get them righted before their problems become too severe. And then we also have an intensive outpatient up at Holy Family Hospital um, for youth uh, that is not overnight, but kids come during the day. And again, they do group therapy. We have trauma-informed yoga. Um, arts and healing programs up there. um, So really tailored, again, to meet the individual needs of those teens. Well,
0: you know, we hear a lot of times about big donations, right? A million dollars, a hundred thousand, fifty thousand. There's a lot of people who say, I don't have that kind of money, right? Mm -hmm. Is my $10, my $20, is it going to matter? Is it? Is it, Colleen?
1: Absolutely. I think this is one of the things that is a misperception, especially with healthcare philanthropy, because healthcare is It's big and it's expensive and they think, oh my gosh, there's my $10 going to matter. I've seen
0: my bill after (laughs) just going to the doctor for a physical, right?
1: And yet, I mean, it goes back to the Sisters of Providence who founded Sacred Heart and it was, they would go on begging tours and they would ask everyone they encountered to just give what you can Mm -hmm. so that everyone in our community can have access to care. And that spirit really remains today. That if everyone in our community gives what we can, then that makes sure that Everyone in our community has great care, including those who are poor and vulnerable.
0: I think the community side is is interesting because we we had a couple questions. I know Robin from Twitter said, I see fundraisers for like Children's Miracle Networks Mm -hmm. at Walmart and Costco. If I donate there, is that staying in my community?
1: It does. We are really, really blessed to be a Children's Miracle Network hospital. Um, CMN is a national organization and they work with partners like Costco and Ace Hardware and Walmart. Um, to have these philanthropic relationships and then every single dollar that is raised in our market goes directly to supporting Sacred Heart Children's Hospital. So it's a really wonderful partnership where we're part of a national group of organizations who all have the same mission, and yet it's really, really localized. And so um, Children's Miracle Network, those one, three, five dollar donations people make at the register or rounding up at the register. Um, In total, we raise about $1.5 million a year here in eastern Washington. That goes directly to meeting the most pressing needs of our children's hospital. So the dollar really matters. The dollar, the cumulative effect of that dollar, $3, $5 goes a long, long way to meeting the needs of our community's kids. So what about people, though, who really can't afford to donate? Are there other ways
0: for them to help?
1: Yeah, I'll give you a couple of examples. I mean, we have a great group of volunteers um, who serve in our a hospital-based school program and who volunteer at the children's hospital so i think one of the greatest gifts people can give is time mm-hmm. we also have people who do in-kind donation drives so um, doing drives for uh, colored pencils and school supplies for our hospital-based oh, school yeah, program yeah. Um, we have people who um, who do quilts for the kids and for the you know babies in the nicu so there's lots of different ways for the community to get involved
0: i think it was at this hospital where I saw they were making dolls, little princess dolls for yep. the patients, and they were actually doing like uh, wigs for the girls, like the, ke- the chemo patients to wear that were fun.
1: Yeah, and we also, we get um, donations from the American Doll Girl Company okay. every year, and um, those are used by our child life team, so sometimes they're given out as gifts, but we also use those um, with our child life team, and if a child's having a procedure, uh, we'll actually build them a little, um, like a a neck brace or something like that, so that they can see exactly what their situation is gonna look like when they come out. Um, So really trying to help, again, normalize that, that experience. Speaking of building, I believe it was also in this hospital. I
0: I, I go to all of our hospitals, so I kind
1: of sometimes they mesh together.
0: But I think it was this one that had the 3D printer, and they did the pediatric heart transplant, and they actually practiced on the printer. So talk to me a
1: little bit. That's something that I think was also fundraised for, right? That's something that still to this day, that's funded entirely through philanthropy, but it's really amazing. So we have a very robust pediatric cardiology program here, um, and and a a cardiac surgery program here for kids. And so um, oftentimes if it's a complex procedure, they will do a 3D scan of the heart and the surgeon will actually get the the life-size model and then an enlarged model so that they can practice on the heart Mm -hmm. and make sure that they have the right equipment, the right care team in the room when they do the surgery. And it's gotten so advanced that we can actually now do that for babies who are in utero. So before they're even born, we can do a 3D scan of the heart. And so we know if they need surgery in the first, you know, three to five days of their life, the surgeon's really well prepared. It's amazing the technology that has evolved in these last 10 years. And it's just, you're going to hear me say this a lot, but it's just another thing that wouldn't be possible without philanthropy. Amazing. Well, you've talked a
0: couple of times about like what people want to donate for and their their personal touch points right Mm -hmm. so do you know most of your donors do you sit down and have conversations with them and figure out why
1: why they want to be a part of this and and where they want their money to go we try i mean we really want to get to know our donors we really want to understand their motivation we do have a lot of donors who are private and they just want to Mm -hmm. make their contribution and do it quietly and so we of course respect that but I do think especially with healthcare philanthropy, there is often that personal story and we wanna provide space for the donor to share that and to really connect their philanthropy with their overall experience.
0: So I wanna go back a little bit to the Children's Miracle Network piece. Mm -hmm. What does that mean for the community to have a Children's Miracle Network hospital so close?
1: Well, what it means for us is really that incredible source of fundraising. Like I said, it's about $1.5 million a year um, those funds are unrestricted, so it okay. means we can take those funds and use them for the most pressing needs at our Children's Hospital. And that is a significant part of our annual budget for the Children's Hospital for being able to provide you know, the most state-of-the-art equipment and supportive programs and some of those positions like Child Life that we talked about. So it really is an incredibly important source of revenue for us here in Eastern Washington.
0: Talk to me a little bit about equipment too, because when I worked at Xbox, we donated a lot of Xbox mm-hmm. gaming systems to children's hospital. Do you get donations from corporations that aren't just dollars, but maybe equipment or technology, that sort of thing?
1: We do. We get a lot of um, a lot of technology. Um, we work with Child's Play Charity, and they okay. do a lot of our mm-hmm. gaming, a lot of our gaming donations. And one of the areas that we're really excited about and we're just sort of starting to explore in more detail is um, virtual reality. That's kind of a growing movement, especially within the yeah. children's hospitals, um, not only because it's distracting for kids, but it actually is linked to lower needs for medication, uh, quicker recovery times, lower stress. and so.
0: It helps with nausea. It, it helps, helps with, with it nausea. It helps a lot of things. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, for kids who, who maybe have to be in their bed for long periods of time, um, it's a great way to escape as well. So. Yeah.
0: We did a we did a feature on the virtual reality for our pediatric hospice patients and yep. it was kids who had basically their entire lives been stuck in beds or homes and they got to, you know, surf. They got to yeah. go to Mars. Like yeah. super cool things and it was exactly that the the equipment was donated but also the training of Mm -hmm. the people who could go into the homes during hospice, right, and into the hospitals and actually teach them and keep the equipment up and functioning because you donate it, right, right? but it still needs to be upkeep, right? You still need to use it.
1: Yeah, in fact, that's one of the things that we're exploring is there are technology specialists at Children's Hospital Mm -hmm. where that's their primary position is to enable virtual reality and gaming and all those pieces, and that's something we'd love to bring to the Children's Hospital in the future.
0: Absolutely. What's what's the most surprising thing that you've learned from children with cancer and their families while you're doing this great work?
1: Oh, that's a hard question. So before I came to Providence, I worked at Ronald McDonald House. And okay. so I've, I've had a, quite a bit of experience in the, the childhood cancer world. And I think what really surprises me is just how resilient kids are and how resilient their families are. And I will never forget. You know, there's families that are right in the middle of their cancer journey, and they're already asking, "How do we give back? Mm-hmm. How do we raise awareness? How do we, um, how do we continue to be champions? You know, for the care that we've received." And I just think it's amazing, and I think it really speaks to that human desire to make meaning of suffering and sure. to be a part of something bigger.
0: To help other people go mm-hmm. through what you've gone through and, exactly. and to navigate it, I think, yeah. yeah.
1: But I, I can't, I always, I just am always amazed at how resilient kids are and how joyful they are, yeah. even in the midst of such difficult circumstances.
0: I always say we could learn a lot from kids because I've seen kids going through very traumatic things and still have a smile on their face, still mm-hmm. grateful for life, still see joy in that, playing a video game or singing a song or playing a drum. And as an adult, we would just be so beside ourselves
1: so bitter and yeah. so depressed mm-hmm. and yet these kids show yeah. just remarkable yeah. 100%, 100%. strength 100 percent. i want that bounce back mentality. i know <laughs> I mean, it gets harder and harder as we get older right how about how
0: about that maybe one donor or one patient who was impacted by a donor that really sticks with you that you think would be a great story to share oh gosh i know there's probably so many so too many. right
1: i i think i think for me one of the one of the patients that will always stick with me because she was the first cancer patient that I really walked that whole journey with um, was a little girl named Gabby. And she was diagnosed when she was five years old. She was from Montana um, and came to Secret Heart. And she was a kid who really, really responded well to art. Mm-hmm. And so throughout her experience, she was here for a couple years. Um, she created just some beautiful, beautiful artwork. And... Uh, she loved the dog. She loved pet therapy. So she was one of those kids who really utilized a lot of those support services. And now she's 12 years old. Yeah. And I remember going to her bell ringing ceremony. Oh, yeah. So for kids, when they complete their cancer journey um, and complete treatment, um, they do these beautiful ceremonies where yeah. their whole care team gathers and they sing a song and there's this big celebration. Um, and hers was that first one that I that I met when she was recently diagnosed and then got to know all the way through that. That's amazing. So...
0: Well, thank you for joining us today. But thank you so much just for the amazing work that you do and and bringing the community together to support this children's hospital because it is such a, a blessing to have it here. And I just can't thank you enough for spending your
1: day with us. Oh, thank you for the invitation. It's an honor to do this work and, and to be able to share the stories.
0: I love it. Well, thank you for joining us. And thank you to everyone for listening and sending in your questions. We look forward to future topics with more experts from Providence. Make sure to listen on all of our shows on Dash Radio, on our Future of Health station, or on your favorite podcast platform platform. Follow us on social media. We can be found on Twitter and Facebook at Providence and on Instagram under Providence Health Systems. To learn more about our missions, programs, and services, visit providence.org. Thanks for listening. And remember here at Providence, we see the life in you.